Welcome to another episode of the Ultra Speaking Podcast. Today's guest is Alianor Hunter, and I think this might be the best podcast episode we've ever recorded. Her story is so fascinating because she was the type of person, by the way, Alianor is our coach right now, coach of coaches, so you might think that she was born a great communicator. Alianor started her journey with ultra speaking in a place where she didn't want to call the hairdresser to make the reservation. She didn't want to go into the grocery store because the awkward small talk of it is something that she couldn't navigate. And if you can relate to being the type of person where speaking just sucks and it's hard and difficult and you want to avoid it your whole life, well, that's where Alianor came into ultra speaking and her journey from that into becoming a fundamental student and then a coach and then a coach of coaches and now going into giant rooms, coaching people on speaking, helping people transform their confidence. I mean, to go from that to that in a span of 11 months, that's wild. And I wanted to find out what was her secret? What did she do differently? And how can you as a listener do the same thing for yourself and beyond. This is one of the best podcasts that I've ever been on. It was so interesting for me to learn her story. And I think if you're in the ultra speaking universe, you're going to find it fascinating as well. So stay tuned. Enjoy my podcast interview with Alianor Hunter. Alianor Hunter, welcome to the ultra speaking podcast. Thank you, Michael. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Uh, never in a million years did I imagine this moment when uh, when I first saw you in the fundamentals course. Uh, but here we are, and I think everyone that's listening is going to get a real kick out of learning about your journey, how you got here, and uh, where you're going to go next after all of this. I would love to start a little bit at the beginning, because... You're Alianor Hunter, ultra speaking coach, lead coach of the fundamentals course. Uh, people might look at you and think you were born confident. You were coaching out of the womb. Everything comes easily to you. And I know from talking to you that that's not exactly the case. And so I'd love for people to know, what's the starting point? Were you always pretty confident growing up or, or was there more to that story? I love that people think I'm that person. That's really cool. But my starting point was definitely, I mean, definitely the furthest thing from that. When I tell my friends now that I'm a public speaking coach, their jaws tend to drop. It's that far from where I started. Mm. I used to be like really shy, like cripplingly, cripplingly shy especially as a kid and in my teenage years I had I had friends and I had family and I wasn't too afraid to talk to them but anyone who was a stranger literally any person who could react in a way that I wasn't aware of was scary so receptionists were scary ringing on doorbells was scary mm. going to the supermarket and going up to the till and paying was I couldn't do that my mum would sit in the car when I was like 10 or 11 and drop me off and say, hey, can you buy us some whatever? I'm out of cheese. And I'd go in and and sometimes I'd have to say, no, I want you to park and you to go in, mum, because I, I'm too afraid. I can't do it. And if you stack up kind of all of those interactions you think about when you have your daily life, like you're getting your coffee, you're going to the shops, you're getting on the underground to travel to commute to work you're seeing your friends you're calling up the hairdresser you're booking a restaurant you're going to the restaurant all of those things mm. for me were terrifying really really terrifying that's interesting because you would think that it would be the you know the friends or the the people in school that you might not know as well that that those would be the more pressure situations, or at least the people you'd want to impress the most. Uh, maybe that's where my shyness came from growing up. But when it comes to strangers, especially these, what seem to be like just flash of the moment interactions, um, they they seem so trivial from a, a, an outside perspective. What do you think 
these had in common? Why why is it that strangers, the hairdresser, the receptionist, what about these interactions felt scary or uncomfortable? I didn't know the rule book of what to say. So with friends and family, I think I felt like there were things that you do together. So you play in the playground with your friends and we're just going to play a game and I don't have to talk. I just have to pass the ball and, and play the hula hoop and bounce with them. And they're not expecting anything from me, at least my close friends. But with strangers in, in when I walk into a shop, for example, and it's a new shop and I don't know where the things are and I don't know where the cashier is going to be, Am I going to walk in and is she going to say, hi, welcome, how can I help you? And then I'm going to have to think of something to be helped with and I don't, I don't want to be helped. And, and maybe I just came to look around and maybe I have to ask her a question. Maybe I'm looking for something in specific and then I have to phrase the way that I want to buy my shampoo. And all of that just felt like I could get something wrong and people would laugh at me. Time... I don't think I was aware that there was another way. I genuinely thought that everyone felt like this, especially when I was starting to get a little bit older um, and I started going to university. So I would have been 18, 19, 20. And my parents started saying, you know, it's really time for you to deal with this thing. It's going to impact your whole life. The fact that you can't do anything that involves talking to people. And my response was always, no, it's fine. It's normal. Everyone's like this. I can handle. Look, I'm okay. I'm at university. I'm doing my studies. I'm living my life. I can get by. I'll be okay. I didn't, I couldn't even imagine a world where it would feel different. Do you remember the point where you realized that maybe this is something that is different or maybe this is something that, that like, when did you become aware of this thing and perhaps even the desire to, to get rid of it? It was a very specific moment. I was in my first year at university and we'd done one term and we were coming back after the winter break. So after Christmas, it was January, freezing cold in Oxford in the UK. And I'd put my duvet, my bed linen and stuff in storage over Christmas. And when I came back, I really needed it. But all I had to do was email the storage lady and ask her to open up the storage for me and get the duvet out. That was the, the base level of what I had to do. And I was too scared to email her. I, I would open up my laptop and I couldn't, I couldn't phrase the sentence hi, my duvet is in storage. Could you please help me find it? And it wasn't like I was the only one that did this. Everyone did this. So there were hundreds of my friends going to pick up their duvets every day. Hey, come with me, come with me. Oh, I haven't emailed her yet. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. So for two weeks in midwinter, I slept without a duvet. Oh my God. And I froze. Right? Yeah. Oh my, like, it's ridiculous when I think about it now. I caught a cold. I was not doing good, <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't, I would ra I rather sleep cold and freeze than face the fear of emailing someone. And this isn't even public speaking. This is public emailing. <laughs> this is It's like, it's not even in the public, right? It's one person's inbox. No one else sees it. Wow. So do you have a sense now of what what was it? What were the, the fears or the insecurities or the mechanisms that were operating under the hood? I think I wanted to be perfect. I had this idea in my mind. I had all these rules that I followed these really small little rules that helped keep me safe. So when I would go to someone's house and they would offer me a drink, would you like something to drink? I would always say no, because that's much easier than yes, 
what would you like? Orange juice, water. Do I know if they have orange juice in their fridge? So you never ask for what you'd like. You always just ask for water because you don't want to inconvenience the other person. So I had all these rules that kept me saying the right thing at the right time. And in this situation, in this email, I didn't know what the right thing to say was. And it would be written down, right? It would be permanent in her inbox forever. So in my head, she'd open it up and laugh at me. Uh, that Alienor, she wrote the email in a silly way. She said, please, wrong. She said, thank you, wrong. And it's hard for me to even imagine it right now because I'm so far from where I was that it feels ridiculous. But hmm. at the time, it was it was very real. This, like, this was... It was true. If I sent that email, it would be bad, it would be wrong, and something bad would happen. So there was this perfect, perfectionistic, I don't know if that's the, the word, but there is this, um, did it come from having manners and being taught to, you know, what is appropriate and what context and what isn't? Was that the the operating system or was there something around um, not being taught at all and just having this, what seems like easy to everybody, but this, you know, infinite possibilities of, of conversations and how they could go in, in any direction. I'm trying to get a sense of like, if we can dive in a little bit deeper into what, what it was for you. It wasn't manners because a lot of what I did back then was probably quite rude. I wouldn't text to say thank you. <laughs> when someone made small talk with me, I wouldn't talk to them. Uh, I wouldn't like, introduce myself to people. I wouldn't, like basically anything you can think of, I'd come off as really quite rude because I'd rather not talk than talk. So I don't think it was manners. It was this sense that anything I say is not good enough. Like I am not good enough. And so it's better for me to keep my mouth shut because if I open it, I'll be a burden. I'll be wrong. I'll show everyone how terrible I am. Everyone else gets it. Everyone else, they, they get it, but it's missing in me. I'm different and I should keep quiet. Hmm. I had something similar for myself growing up, and I always attributed it to uh, a being an immigrant. So I spoke a different language. I everyone wore like hoodies, and I wore sweater vests. So I felt like there was a little bit of that, and also I skipped a grade very young. So at, it's not a it's not a big deal at all. But at, when you're six and everyone is seven or eight. Yeah. It feels like a huge deal. And so I felt that difference on those two levels. And I think my shyness and my sort of I'm not like everyone else came from that. And I'm wondering, was there something for you growing up six, seven, eight years old where you also started sensing I'm a little bit different than all the other kids at school? I definitely always had an awareness that I was quiet one and that people were inviting other people to their birthday parties and oh. hanging out with them and that I wasn't getting that, you know. But I think for me it's because my elder brother is very different from me and he's very talkative and he really believes mm. in his ideas and he's passionate about it and he every day has a different passion so growing up it was like today we're going to go build the biggest bonfire in the world and out we'd go and we'd pick the biggest bonfire and then the next day the longest paper chain in the world and obviously I'm doing all the work building the longest paper chain in the world so I had this impression that in order to be worthy I had to be visionary like I had to match up to this expectation mm -hmm. of this big older brother 
who was probably just older than me. <laughs> That's probably the main difference. But in my head, I wasn't, I didn't have what he had. And so that made me different. Wow. So the difference f- followed you around every day. It was at home. It was something that you were cognizant of in that sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Okay, so you're growing up, you feel this, you have this awareness. And I wonder if, uh, do you feel like you had self-awareness um, or you developed that trait um, maybe younger than other other people? What do you mean by self-awareness in this instance? Maybe I'm projecting a little bit, so sorry for that. Uh, but I mean this this uh, this quality of being in your head and being aware of how people are coming off, how you might be coming off if you say it's almost like you know some people are so carefree and they live in the moment and they trust their impulse and just live a happy life, and then others are constantly judging scenarios calculating them and being able to have this sixth sense of like the undertone of what's happening and i think that some people develop that much earlier and especially as kids um it's not something that you think about you know you just want to have fun and, and play so i don't know do you remember anything around that as you were growing up yeah completely I, I wouldn't call it self-awareness. I don't think I was aware of myself, but I vividly remember that I had a very strong sixth sense of what was going on around me and what everyone else around me was feeling. So I would walk into a dinner party that my parents were hosting, for example, and I walk into that room and I can instantly feel what that person over the end is feeling. Wow, they're feeling left out or they're feeling angry mm. or, and I don't know why I can't fix it. I can't solve it. And I obviously I don't have a voice at this point. I'm too shy to speak, but I would sit through these family gatherings and these parties and, and endure this like overwhelming <laughs> mass of everyone else's emotions without really knowing how to fix it. Wow. And that's going to come in handy later down the road, I imagine. We'll put that in our pocket and keep it for later. (laughs) And just to round out the picture, what do you think you were known for on the, I don't want to say on the positive side, uh, just to balance it out, but um, you're going to high school, you're going to college. What are you, what's your brand? How do your friends know you as? How does, how do you come off to people? My friends know me as pretty outgoing, actually, because I was pretty fun and wild with the people that I knew really well. My brand at school and when I was younger, I think, was diligence. So always doing what I was told, right? Being the Mm. good girl. I was definitely the good girl in my family, in my school. I got the right grades. I did the right thing. I applied myself. That was my brand. Okay. But outgoing. That's not mm-hmm. the that's the that's the surprising quality. That doesn't fit the picture. It doesn't at all. Uh my mother told me the story that she came into school once to talk to my house mistress. Uh and and she said, Oh, because Alienor's shy, XYZ. And my teacher goes, Shy? Alienor? I've not seen Alienor be shy. So there was a definite mismatch between wow the places where this would come out and the places Mm. where I was able to be myself. Wow. I love that. I love that because that's always been a a guiding principle for ultra speaking is that if there is some place where you feel that sense of home or that sense of belonging or outgoingness, that then, then we have something to work with like a target or a North star. So that's really important. So you felt that around friends, family, close circles. Yeah, that's very cool. And what did outgoing look like for you? 
The word that comes to mind is weird. It's a word I've been called a lot in my life and I used to hate it because it was it represented this otherness and now I'm kind of cool with it. That that might be my brand if you want to go there. But um it was just like whatever I wanted to do in that moment be I had a really big imagination and so I was always cracking jokes, always laughing, always just kind of clowning around. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I know like skiing was part of that. Um, any other adventuring, any like big feats that you remember from those days? When I was like younger? Mm -hmm. In those days, I stuck to the script book in terms of the things that I did. So all my extracurricular activities were things that would make me look good on my CV for future employers, uh, or yes. I thought at the time would make me look good. So when I look back, there are almost no feats that I can think of that were truly of my own creation. <laughs> yeah, we got to pad that resume. Okay, so I think I got the picture, I think, of of how life was like growing up. And I think important for people to hopefully be able to identify with those sides, the, the, the sides of doing the right things, wanting to say the right things of not knowing the rules of small talk of conversation. And I especially appreciate the side of empathy of being able to sense how other people are feeling and what they might be going through, even though they're at a distance and you didn't talk to them. Because that ingredient, I think a lot of people have and grow up with, and it, it can almost be a curse in some sense. Yeah. So you go through college and at some point, when does this become a real problem for you? Or how do you get to ultra speaking and and start taking the fundamentals course? There must have been a a moment or a series of events that brought you to to here. Uh, what do you remember about that time? Yeah. So after Duvet Gate, I did seek professional help because I realized that this was bigger than me and I needed someone to help me through that. And that kickstarted a very long journey of me sort of dipping my toe into speaking. So starting to become aware of all the parts of my life where I was holding myself back, mm. starting to become aware of all of those rules that I thought were great and taking a second to question them and realize they weren't that great. But that was pretty slow. It was I guess the deep work that you have to do to realize that um, there's something wrong, but it didn't necessarily fix the root of the issue, which is that I didn't enjoy the feeling of speaking. Like I would do all these challenges. I would, for example, have to go into a restaurant and then ask the waiter for something could I get another dish or could I send this food back or Oof, that can one's I scary. Have some water? Oh, I know that one's really scary. And, and so that sounds like a good thing to do. Right. But my experience was massive anxiety going into it, almost heart attack level when I'm raising my hand and asking for something, right? Like absolutely shaking. And then it happens. It's not a great experience because the waiter doesn't enjoy being asked for the thing or no one tells me that I did a good job asking right. the waiter for a good thing. Everyone's watching me. I'm bright red. Someone points out you're blushing. It makes it worse. And so I go home with this feeling of speaking is something I have to do. And so I did it, but this is going to be a nightmare for the rest of my life. Mm. Almost like working out, like you have to do a workout. It's hard. It was hard the whole entire time through. Afterwards, you feel drained, <laughs> You're so tired, exhausted. 
and then you have, you know you have to do it all over again, but none of the process felt good. It, it's like working out, but you never get fit. Yeah. Like always day one. What is missing from that equation? Because this is a pretty trusted formula of uh, comfort zone challenges or exposure therapy. You know, go talk to a stranger, go give them a compliment, order a coffee and ask for a discount. These are pretty well-known uh, challenges that are supposed to get us over this fear of what other people think and more comfortable with just being courageous and, and social. What's missing from that equation? For me, it was the, the good feedback. It was the release of the feeling of anxiety and turning it into some kind of tick, some kind of positive that I could remember coming from that experience. So next time around, I would think, oh yeah, it sucked at the beginning, but at the end, people said I did well, or mm. I got something good out of it. I got my free meal from my waiter or my free coffee or whatever right. it was. Maybe I was doing the challenges wrong and I wasn't including doing challenges that would include that kind of tick, but I, I was missing people telling me that I was doing a good job. Right. Because they don't know that this is a, a thing for you, <laughs> right? So there's no reason for them to be like, wow, you asked that really well <laughs> yeah well done 10 10 out of 10 well, that's what i wanted i wanted them to turn around and be like wow you're doing so great right now yeah yeah okay so you're doing these comfort zone challenges as part of this uh personal growth professional help that you're seeking and is it working at all are you developing any sort of self-confidence it's working I'm I'm expanding the range of people with which I feel like myself. So it got to the point where I could go to work and I had friends at work and I was able to interact with clients and present my work to clients. And I was the one who was organizing the in-work speeches and doing the speeches and all of that, mainly because the challenge I wanted rather than the pleasure I was getting from it. Uh, but I was getting to a place where I understood that pushing myself out of my comfort zone was a good thing. So what was the issue then? Well, it still sucked. I still went red and I still hated it. And I still lost sleep every night before a big presentation with clients. I would do it. I raise my hand and say, yeah, I'll present in front of all those important people. Mm. But I didn't feel good at it. And it really stressed me out. Mm. That seems like a formula that a lot of people are following. This idea of... Uh, it doesn't feel good. I don't enjoy doing it and it sucks, but I have no other choice or this is what is required. So I'm just going to power through. And then it's like a cycle for years, potentially. What is that formula? Can that be sustainable? Is is that something that's that's livable from your experience? It was livable in the sense that I was roughly speaking, not holding myself back. So I wasn't saying no to opportunities because I was afraid of speaking. I basically had a rule that if that was holding me back, I would have to go for it. So in that sense, I was living a full and complete life, but it's, it's exhausting it's to wake up every day and every single moment of the day that involves interacting with someone else requires a little bit of adrenaline, something to get through and then a crash. Mm. The end of the day, I was out, like knocked out. You know, I was 10 hours sleep every night because yeah. it's just not, it's not sustainable to be that stressed all the time. Mm. Right. So fast forward to, 
ultra speaking fundamentals? How did you hear about the course? How did you, what prompted you to, to take the, the leap? It was during lockdown. I was living by myself and I popped on some YouTube to cheer myself up while I was working. And I found a live stream of you coaching, you and Tristan coaching Ali Abdal. And I just thought it was genius. I look instantly, instantly from the second I saw you and I saw you guys playing triple step. My first thought was I could never do that. This is terrifying, but I need this. This is the thing that has been missing from my life mm. the entire time. And more than that, I saw what you and Tristan were doing, the way you were coaching. And I was like, hey, that's interesting. How are they doing that? How are they making someone better just with the words that they're saying? So I was already fascinated by the method, but also by the coaching side of things. Wow. And Triple Step's one of your best games now, if not your Isn't it? absolute best game. <laughs> it's my favorite game. It, it's yeah. just the best game you've invented, hands down. But the other That's... ones are good too. <laughs> yeah, Triple Step is such a blast. Um, let's dive into that for just one second and then we'll come back. What is it about yeah. Triple Step that is so, so fun or just like, what is it about that game? Because it's also my favorite game as well. Yeah. I think both of us are word people. Uh, we get tickled by words and rhythms. So that is part of it, why we enjoy it. But it's also because it looks really hard. But right. once you get the trick, it feels really quite easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a trick, it's a skill. Sorry, the skill that we're teaching. <laughs> the trick. Once you know the uh, <laughs> the shortcut, yeah. And triple step for anyone who hasn't played it yet. You give a speech. You have words flying at you every couple of seconds. You have to integrate them into your speech on the fly, as if it were the plan all along. I think there's also something to it where the uncertainty, the thrill of having to like on the spot do this juggling act and that's that's why uh the logo for it for a long time was this juggler uh something about that there's just like a real adrenaline rush and a real thrill and it's not fun when you suck at it of course but what but i think it challenges you on that like perfect uh skill to challenge ratio where every time you feel like whoo I just barely survived. It gets you used to making mistakes as well. Like you have to just say something stupid and the first 20 reps, that doesn't feel good. And then something clicks and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to say something stupid and I'm still having a great time. Yeah. 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 So, okay. You, it's, it's exhausting to have all this stress at work, outside of work. You're crashing, you're sleeping for 10 plus hours. Um, and you one day stumble upon the Ali Abdal coaching session and you're like, oh, okay, this, there's something here for me. What do you remember next? I signed up immediately i think i might have slept on it but that's a pretty pretty rash financial decision <laughs> to see someone on youtube and go yeah I, i'm gonna do that and i remember at the time thinking am i being an idiot but it just it was it was bigger than me i just i was desperate i think to overcome this i tried everything or i thought i tried everything and i just like I just wanted <laughs> I wanted it to go away and it looked like you and Tristan and sorry you and Tristan had the thing that I was missing so I signed up and the next fundamentals course was starting the following week so it was like three days before the fundamentals course uh, so I didn't really have time to think about it I just had to show up 
Ah, the secret. <laughs> secret to <laughs> speaking. Uh, and what do you remember about day one of the course? Were you feeling uh, any nerves? I barely remember day one of the course. And I think that's because I was so nervous <laughs> that I blocked it out. <laughs> uh, I remember the course being exhausting for me in terms of that adrenaline because it was just rep after rep after rep. So it would, oh my gosh, I, it might have looked to my coach, Mark, like I was doing a good job, but internally it took so much from me, especially I think in the first two weeks when it was still new and exciting. What do you remember as the first moment where you felt some sort of positive reference point, some sort of micro success? There was one day that we played triple step. Not sure why we don't play it anymore in fundamentals, <laughs> but, uh, and I was, and I, and I got that, that feeling that I was looking for. And I got called in the main room by Tristan to play triple step. And my stress levels were through the roof. <laughs> I was in front of 20 people or so and Tristan, who was like this godly figure. And I did a particularly average job. If not, I would, for me, say terrible. And Tristan was really good. He said something nice. I don't even remember what it was. And I remember kind of cowering for the rest of the session thinking, oh, my gosh, everyone knows they can see through me. And that night I had nightmares. But the next day was the turning point because I showed up. Mm. No one remembered. Right. Everyone still thought I was good as what I was doing. And that's when I got it. That's That experience of failure and pushing through it was, I think, what I've been missing. How is that different than the failures of quote unquote failures of going to the coffee shop or asking to for an extra water from the waiter? What was different about this? Because then I succeeded. Because when I came back the next day, A, I had to come back the next day because I paid loads of money for it and it was important to me. And B, when I showed up the next day and I did the exercise that Mark was making us do in the pod he still gave me good feedback he didn't seem to remember the bad the bad thing I'd done and so I got to experience that success I got to experience mm. it feeling bad for me and it looking good for everyone else yeah 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 one of them yeah. I I would almost wager to say that the reason anyone should pay money to do public speaking practice in a group setting is to get the experience of failing in front of people and having the reflection that it looked totally normal and it seemed like a success to us only to highlight the enormous difference between how we feel something happened versus the objective reality of how it is perceived and what it looks like. So what happened next? What what was your fundamentals experience like? Can you give can you paint a picture of um of anything that changed for you over the course of the 5 weeks? That was totally totally life-changing. <laughs> because at the end of the 5 weeks I the overwhelming feeling that I was left with was that I had the skills all along that I hadn't that I hadn't that I wasn't going to have to spend like 20 years of my life slowly becoming that kind of person the other person that I actually was totally great the way I am and all I had to do was believe in it a little bit more can you help paint the picture or break down that seems radical 
that see if I was listening to this right now, I'd be like, yeah, all right, well, this is a marketing scheme, <laughs> right? <laughs> what, what? Two weeks in, you're still feeling the adrenaline, yeah. and it's exhausting. You're you're still you're failing triple step in the main room. Like, what is it yeah. about in these five weeks that that warrants this idea of of a life changing experience? So the adrenaline is not necessarily gone at the end of the course. I'm not like a different person who suddenly can talk in front of everyone all the time. It's still real for me. But I just, there was this little seed, this seed that was planted. And if I hadn't watered it, if I'd shut my laptop away from fundamentals and gone back to work and spent like five years, maybe it would have stayed a seed and I'd be someone who'd think, yeah, you know what? I can do this. And that would be enough. But you guys hooked me in. (laughs) You kept me, you kept me with you. And that was what really shifted thing for me. Well, we didn't we didn't hook you in necessarily. <laughs> we we opened applications for coach training, and we received a lot of submissions. And as part of that, uh, we had video submissions, auditions of coaching sessions, and so we selected the candidates that showed the most promise and the most talent at the point in time that that we held the the coach training. And what do you remember about that audition, if anything? Because you submitted a coaching session. Um, it was with, I don't remember who it was, but it, was it a friend that you had asked to coach or, or somebody you had known? It was a really good friend of mine, KK, whose birthday is today. Happy birthday. Ah, happy birthday. Um, so I knew him already quite well. And he was quite, an, he is a really wonderful, outgoing person. So someone who's quite comfortable speaking, which was a difficult target to give myself to start with. Right. And I remember finding the application process scarier than anything I'd done before. The idea that you and Tristan would be watching this video of me coaching. And at this point, I'd never coached before, right? It's not like there's a on the side coaching thing that I was doing. This was the first time I'd ever tried to recreate what I saw you and Tristan do. And it took, I delayed it right up until, right up until the end of the application process. Cause I knew that I had to do it. It was one of those challenge things. You know, you, when you, someone says, do you want to apply for coach training? You apply for coach training. You can't turn that down, but I didn't feel ready and I was incredibly surprised to be chosen. Why do you think you were chosen? I think it's because of that feeling we talked about at the beginning where I was walking into rooms and feeling what other people were feeling. The fact that I've had to, the fact that I felt what it feels like to really struggle with speaking, uh, that I can understand what someone in front of me might be going through when I say something that feels really simple for me. I think, I think that's what made me able to coach. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The awareness of of what somebody might be feeling, to be able to also feel that internally is is so important and more important than how well you speak or even how confident you feel. That's that to me, that quality of empathy or just the ability to sense what might be going on in another person's head is crucial to understanding what they might be going through 
and to relating to it. And I think you had the added benefit of, of being on the other side, you know, the, of understanding what it might be like to feel shy or scared or anxious or just unsure what the rules are in these different interactions that we have on a daily basis. That I think it's in, in many ways, it, it was the empathy that you have. Uh, and yet, and it's also something about the, the weaknesses that you had that it's only because of what you've gone through that you're able to really understand what other people might be going through as well. I want to read you something really quickly. Honestly, I want to become an ultra speaking coach because I'm really mad. I'm mad that I spent my entire life terrified of speaking. I'm mad that if I hadn't found ultra speaking, I could have spent the rest of my life blocked, never knowing speaking can actually be fun. And now I get it. I can draw on my experience to understand what others are going through and guide them on the same journey. I hope this empathy is what will make me a good coach. I hope this empathy will help me change the lives of hundreds of others by giving them the confidence and freedom to speak. I couldn't figure out how to verbalize this until I took a breath and pretended I was speaking it. The words flowed and I was able to express myself. Now this is my chance to give that ability to someone else. I remember writing that. I haven't read it since. It. I tried to write that about 10 times because <laughs> it mattered so much to me. And I kept writing it from the perspective of what you're interested in might want to hear. I'm a great person. I've got lots of good qualities. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it sounded terrible. And I just, I remember this moment. It was late. I was in my bed. I was typing on my laptop. And I just asked myself the question, why, why do you actually want to be a coach? Why does this matter to you? And it was, it was so obvious. That, that feeling has always been more important to me than anything else throughout this coaching journey whenever my ego gets in the way and I feel like I'm doing a terrible job or whatever it is that's blocking me I I have to fight for it because it's so unfair that people are born like I was it's so uncool that people have to go through all of this this pressure this anxiety this this feeling rubbish about yourself all the time when it doesn't have to be that way. What did you learn in coach training? What was something that you felt you gained through the experience of, I think it was like eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks. I don't remember anymore. Um, what was that program like for you? It was so intense. It was so intense that on the first day after our first session, I lay on the floor for about half an hour. I couldn't even make it to my bed because you guys had put us through the ringer. But the thing I learned from that session, from that session and all the sessions, It was building up my confidence in my ability to help someone else. So I had this desire, this, this need <laughs> to pass on what I know to others. And I had this empathy, this feeling, this, this way of understanding others and asking questions and making them feel heard. But I didn't have 
the belief that I could do it to tie it together. So coach training, even more than the fundamentals, taught me not only the skills of helping someone unlock themselves, but also the feeling that I can, that I'm someone who is capable of unlocking other people. Mm. And what do you remember about some of your first coaching sessions? Maybe from your first fundamentals where you are no longer a student. And and just to give people a, uh, some perspective, the timeline between you signing up for fundamentals as a student saying, okay, I, I hope this thing will fix whatever the it's been with me for so long from that day to the day where you walk into fundamentals and you are a coach. And now there's three students in your pod and your job is to help them experience the same success. What was the, 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 span of time between those two dates do you remember i think it was about a year maybe a little less a little less <laughs> was it <laughs> yeah i th i think so i think so i think it must have been nine months something yeah. like that um how can that happen so fast That's not true for any any notable sport, you know. You can't be a tennis coach when you have never picked up a racket. Uh, you can't be a martial arts coach when you've never done any martial arts. Like, what is it? How how could you do this in a year? Well, the difference between those examples and speaking is that. I've been doing speaking since I was a kid and so has everyone else. So part of it is that that journey involved me learning skills, but also me just taking away a lot of barriers to becoming a coach. But I think it was also the intensity of it. We had our two other coach trainees, Aman and Pim, and the three of us were dead set on on getting it on nailing this thing on understanding what coaching was uh, it was perhaps naive to think that we could do it that quickly but the support from them and from the community I think was key because whenever I felt not good enough whenever I felt like you know what, this has been a fun adventure, but it's time to, to chill out a little bit. There was always someone to pull me back in. And I think that's true, especially of you and Tristan. Just the fact that you believed that I would be a good coach was enough to keep me going. How is life different for you now than it was before you came to ultra speaking? It's totally different. And that's ignoring the, I quit my job and now work for ultra speaking part. Uh, just in terms of my social life and the way I speak and the way I carry myself, it's, the, the best way I can describe it is that this summer I was hanging out with some family friends of mine and I hadn't seen them for two years because of COVID. So they hadn't seen me since pre-ultra speaking days. Wow. And Great. we were having lunch together and they were asking me how my work was going. And I did what I thought was totally normal. I started explaining, yeah, I love it. I'm a coach. It's amazing. I'm changing lives. All of that. Completely obsessed with what I was talking about. And in front of me, I see one of my mom's friends and his, his jaw literally dropped. 
he could not believe what he was seeing. And I was watching him and I was wondering if there was maybe something behind me or like something else going on. And and when I stopped, he looked at me and he was he said, I can't believe what I'm seeing. You're so different. He tried to hire me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm very glad you declined. <laughs> Do you feel different? Yeah. I feel... I don't, so if you asked me at the beginning of the journey what I wanted to feel like or what I imagined those people who can talk feel like, I would have said totally comfortable, confident, never feeling any fear, always just 100% free to be themselves. And I think that's partly true. I pretty much always feel free now to be myself, to crack a joke, to just enjoy myself when I'm speaking. But I'm not totally free of all feelings and anxiety. That would be, I think, quite a boring way to live life. It's definitely still there. And I I kind of chase it. I'm looking for those opportunities to coach more people bigger workshops speak in other places walk into huge shops now where i've got to talk to 10 department store people <laughs> all of that stuff send it back <laughs> yes <laughs> that's amazing yeah. i want to end the episode with a few with a few questions um, nice. for the listeners on on the essence of what on speaking and confidence. So, what does confidence mean to you? Where does it come from? To me, confidence means. The ability to believe in yourself, to believe that you have value, to stand your ground in the face of any number of different situations. So it's really easy for me to be confident with my siblings. <laughs> if they're arguing with me about something, I don't even hesitate to go right back at them with a response because right. I know I'm right. But that feeling for me wasn't there when I walked into a party or when I walked into a business meeting. I immediately thought my default state is I'm wrong. So for me, confidence, it's not a feeling that I'm always right. I'm perfect. I'm great. I'm getting everything right all the time. It's just a belief that even if I get it wrong, it won't matter. Why not? Because I've got this. Because I can fix it. Because even if I get it wrong again and again and again, I trust that that's not the most important thing getting it right or wrong, that hmm. I have value just from the way that I am. The fact that I'm here and I exist and I'm talking to you and we're enjoying it, that is enough. I don't have to be saying something that is the most important thing every single time. You've seen a number of people as a coach develop confidence in themselves through through ultra speaking what do you how do you see it 
what do you see happening? How do people actually develop the confidence? Can you, how do they get this belief in themselves through speaking games or whatever it is that, that happens in a coaching session? What do you think is, uh, is the main thing that, that clicks for people as they go through, through this experience? So the answer to that, I think, is super simple, but at the same time, very hard to get hold of. When I see people transform in front of my eyes, it can take literally one rep to see a totally different person. And I've not done anything to increase their skill set in between those two reps whatsoever. I've not given them any handy tips, tricks, told them how to carry themselves, told them how to use intonation in their voice. The only thing I've done in that moment is reflected back to them what I see. When I see my clients, I see the potential, right? I see the vision the wonderful qualities that they have. And for some reason, when they're lacking confidence, they don't see it. And for each of them, it's a different reason why they don't see it. It's a different reason why they don't show it to me. But all I'm doing is saying, hey, do you notice what I'm noticing in you right now? Because <laughs> that's insane. You're really good at this. And then they go again. And it's like the whole rep, the whole speaking, the whole way they carry themselves is transformed. So if I could, if I could go into everyone's home tonight and wave a magic sparkly wand, what I'd want to give them is that feeling. You're not seeing in yourself what I'm seeing in you. If you did, you would show up. 10 20 30 times more confident wow confidence aside what's the one skill what's the one behavior you would use your magic wand to give everybody to improve their communication skills what's the one habit or the one yeah, behavior, I would say, that almost everybody could use more of and would therefore improve their speaking or, or just their communication altogether. Don't shoot yourself in the foot because you think it's going badly. Mm. I would say the one habit is don't undermine yourself, right? Stick with it. If you think it's going badly, it's probably not. I think so many people have found little coping mechanisms, little ways to let us know that they, they're not great. I'm not great. I know I'm not great. Don't worry. I know I'm doing a terrible job. And sometimes it's literally that obvious as saying it. And sometimes it's much more subtle. But the one skill I would say that I wish everyone could train would be to stop doing that because <laughs> if you stop doing that then you give yourself a chance to actually do a really good job and that's when the good feedback comes rolling in that's when it starts to feel good and then you're just on this wonderful uphill spiral mm. final question What's your, what's your billboard message to the listeners? What's the, what's the thing that you've learned from this entire journey that you wish everybody could internalize or could believe uh, to improve their quality of life? You are not broken. If you are struggling with speaking, if you're struggling with your self-worth, with connecting with others, this doesn't have to be a lifelong struggle 
you're not going to have to spend the rest of your life either locked in a dungeon because you can't talk to people or exhausted every day because you're trying to talk to people. It's possible. In fact, you will do it because I've seen hundreds of clients and not one of them have I ever thought this is impossible. I've never met a client where I think a transformation is impossible. So you, you can do it. You are not broken and you will get there. Eleanor, congratulations on everything that you've experienced so far. I trust this is only the beginning for you and what's coming ahead will, will make your journey so far seem like peanuts <laughs> compared to what's possible. Um, Eleanor teaches ultra speaking fundamentals, our 30 day course on transforming, not just your speaking, but your confidence and everything that she's talked about in the session. So if you want to experience what it's like to be coached by Eleanor and to see her in action, that's the place to do it. But she also leads beginner live classes, which are these introductory short sessions every week that show what is possible through ultra speaking, what the games are all about, and is just the easiest and most fun way to get started learning your speaking and uh, improving your confidence. Alinar, a pleasure to have you on the podcast, a bright future ahead for you. And uh, yeah, thanks for being part of our team.